We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast uh, coming at you uh, after the latest uh, worst loss of the Knicks season. Don't worry, there'll be another one right where the, right where that one came from. Um, <laughs> so uh, very, very happy to um, have had uh, Tom Piccolo fall into this slot on the schedule for this week because I needed to just I needed to just get away from um a lot of the uh, fire and brimstone that is currently around uh, this team and just kind of talk basketball. And, and to be very clear, we were um, disparaging uh, and very real and very uh, unapologetic in our assessment of this team and um, the people uh, who are responsible for its recent downfall, including one head coach, Tom Thibodeau. So if you think this is going to be a, a defensive tips, think again. Uh, so Tom Piccolo joins us. Of course, you can hear him as always on Talking Knicks, Knicks uh, which is a great podcast. Uh, I think other than that, don't really have much more to say. Catch us, uh, catch me on the last post game live stream of the first half of the regular season, although actually we're far past the halfway point uh, after the Knicks play the Nets on Wednesday night. And that is going to be a, a the beginning of a little bit of a hiatus for us. We are Jeremy and, and I, Jeremy is actually going to take this week off. So I have a special guest filling in for him uh, for our usual episode. That'll drop. We'll drop at the regular time, Andrew, right? When are you suggesting this episode is going to drop? I want to hear now. Oh, wait, is it, is it not drop? I thought we were going to hold it off until like Monday. No, no, no. So uh, I'll, I'll fill in the gaps. So we're going to, are we saying who the guest is? 
No, let's leave it a surprise. All right. So we have a special, a special guest to recap and I guess more wrap up the first, as John mentioned, half, I guess the pre all-star break uh, season Um, Thursday is when that's being recorded and it's dropping on Friday morning. So that will fully recap and put a a bookend on the first half of the season. And then at that point, we are going to take about a week off. Um, We are going on the, we're going away on vacation. And then Jeremy, like, John mentioned Jeremy was supposed to come on with us or it was going to be a replacement for your regular Monday episode, the Friday episode to recap the first half. Um, Jeremy's going away as well. Good for him. So we're going to take a little break. However, in place of the normal episodes that you get, um, our patrons have already heard these episodes. We will be dropping two Patreon preview full episodes for you guys to listen to. There's going to be two different drafts that John has done. Every month we do one draft and you get to hear those drafts and what they sound like um, on the pod on the regular feed next week in replacement. So there will be content dropping next week on Monday morning and Wednesday morning. And then John will be back Friday night with the game post game pod against the Miami heat to kick off the second half of the season. Yes. Um, and to anybody listening who is one of our patrons, uh, fear not. We have a fresh draft for you mm-hmm. exclusively to you, uh, which are going to be dropping soon as well. So don't don't worry about that. We're not we're not taking any time off from the uh, bonus episodes that come to our Knicks Film School patrons. OK, I think that's it. Uh, let's get to my conversation with Tom Piccolo. Joining me now. That's it. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast. He is. um not only far more knowledgeable than me about basketball, but he's far more handsome too, despite what some reviewers may say. You can, you can, he's the best place to find clips of every Knicks game during the game and uh, the best analysis um, out there after it. Tom Piccolo, hello, sir. How are you? Jonathan, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I don't know what I was getting roasted in the in the reviews of of Nick's film school on, on Apple podcasts. It's crazy, but, uh, <laughs> these people have no decency. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, last time I was on, it was December and you guys told me that you would have me on when things were looking a little rosier when things were a little bit more positive. <laughs> and I got to say, it, it feels like genuinely, this is the nadir of the season. Like you've had me on at the bottom so far and I don't want to jinx anything, but, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know well, if we're going to get much lower than this. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. So what I, We'll go um, this entire podcast. We should this should be the title of this uh, podcast. Off track. We're gonna go off track early. When was when were you on exactly? Maybe Andrew could chime in and, and help us out. It was December what? Let me try and figure it out. I remember no, it was after a three game losing streak because Tom said you only have me on after three game losing streaks. And when you well, and it was I either rich- was it after the it was it had to be either after the Denver game or after either the Milwaukee game or the Golden State game. So it was it's December seventh pre- is when it ran. Oh, so then yeah, it was a- so okay. So it was after the, the Brooklyn, Chicago, Denver. Uh, that was the the Denver debacle where they the, where they didn't show up at the Garden that day, and then uh, we they followed up uh, your appearance with a win, yay, and then four more losses. But here's the interesting thing: I was looking today. Do you realize this team, like less than a month ago? Was a game under five? Uh, sorry, was a game over five hundred? That was a thing that actually happened. That is actually truly shocking to hear. A month ago, it, um, unless my like, unless my math is off. Hold on, yeah, actually, sorry, 
exactly a month ago. We are recording this on Tuesday, February 15th. On Saturday, January 15th, they beat the Hawks of Atlanta 117-108 to complete a three-game winning streak. They were 22-21. and Um, And it was not only their third consecutive win, they beat the Spurs by 15, and they beat the Mavs by 23. And then they went and beat the Hawks in Atlanta by nine. That's the same basketball team that we're about to talk about right now. How about that? Those good vibes feel so long ago. It is like, it's like you're talking about a different season here. That's, that's truly wild, but it's good. It's a good reminder that things can change. That's a good place to start as any. Um, 24 games remain in this season. Uh, as we're recording this, I, I, I always I think Atlanta has like a game or two. What it, it doesn't matter. Whatever. They're two games back at the tenth spot. Uh, you know, nobody ahead of them is is world beaters. But like, are you are you out on the season? Are you still like where where just where's your where's your head at? You know, I've been going back and forth on this as far as like what a successful wrap up to this season would actually be. And like God bless you for that, because I don't know the answer. Well, would you know, would getting the 10th seed and earning us a play in spot. Is that a success? I mean, and then I guess from there you'd have to like, you know, decision tree it out and be like, well, you know, if they win a game, but ultimately don't make it to the real first round, like how, you know, iterations of that. And if like, let's say cam gets glued to the bench and they've essentially just pissed away a first round pick and they do that. But, you know, RJ Barrett comes back and plays even better than he had. Like there's all, there's a thousand and one different. Yeah. So many variables. Yeah. It's, I would say at this, am I out on the season? I certainly don't have a great deal of faith going into any game that the team's going to like really wow me or surprise me in any way. And I, and I do kind of want to start there because I was, I was sitting there watching the thunder game last night and I know you, you follow me, you do, uh, you see that I, post clips to Twitter. And recently I feel like I have nothing of value or of interest to tweet out there because, and I was kind of wondering why that was like, what's going on. And I saw uh, Ariel Pacheco, who's a great Twitter follower yeah. as well. He tweeted something that really resonated with me. And he said, Tibbs sticks to the same script every game. And that makes it really difficult to gather new information on the Knicks younger guys and how they look yeah. in different contexts. And that just really struck me. It's like that that's exactly why I'm having a hard time watching games right now. And really, I don't feel like I'm learning new things. And right, like that's kind of Tibbs' whole thing is for the players, what's it you win or you learn. And every you, moment you, yeah, on, you win or you learn. Every moment on the floor is another opportunity to learn. And I kind of want to hold him to that same standard. I want I want someone to ask him post-game, what did you learn today? coach because like it doesn't feel like there's been a whole lot of it just feels very stagnant it feels like i'm watching the same stuff the same first play of every game just like we did last year we're seeing yeah. the same issues in transition um and it's like it's i'm having a hard time like gathering new information about these players and i think that's been that's been hard to kind of like figure out what's going to be successful moving forward because i th- i feel like success moving forward is learning more about this yeah. team about our young guys. Um, and, and I think that would kind of be what, what I'm looking for going forward. Um, the organization in the hiring of Tom Thibodeau, I think we could agree basically said, look, 
we're going to trust that other segments of our organization um, make sure that development is is happening. And from Tim's perspective, his contribution to development would be holding the team to a standard in which if you do not do X, Y, and Z, you don't get playing time. Um, and that was agreed upon and it seemed like it worked okay last year. And then this year, when the best player, among others, has not always showed up and um, operated by that same standard, shall we say? Is that, is that fair to say of Julius Randle? Um, and now they're at the place where you're talking about, which is like, okay, we're, the, the, the priorities may be changing. And I, I, I say, I, I use those words intentionally. The priorities may be changing because it's still in that kind of like weird in-between place. Um, you know, they're not like 20 and 40. They're whatever the hell they are. So what do you do now? Because I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you that everything about this team right now feels stagnant. Um, the Thunder game was the first game of the season where I sat down and I watched and like, I genuinely didn't really care whether or not they won or lost. I was just like, why, why, why do I care? Because like the, the, something in the blazer game broke me. And like, I don't, I don't think that that's a great place to be as an organization. And I know this isn't your wheelhouse because we're not talking like X and O's, but I'm just like, I'm just like kind of riffing off of what you said. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't, that's kind of, I think more than anything, what has me down at the dumps right now is like this. It is a, it, it's almost like an acknowledged lack of direction. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. And I mean, I'm with you and I just, you asked me what I would do. I think it's probably easier to predict what I think is going to happen. And I just, so what do you think is going to happen? I think it's going to be status quo. I think for the foreseeable future, I no one wants to hear that. And I think people are gonna be up in arms about it, but I mean, based on what we've seen, based on what we know about our coach, like I think we're going to continue to see Burks run out there running the show at point. I think we're going to continue to see the same sets and, uh, and the continued struggles in crunch time when things slow down. But I mean, I, I think that what's kind of interesting is like this recent skid has coincided with a few like real changes as far as how the team has operated. I think that Julius Randall, it's not just the stats in recent games. He has made a yes. concerted effort to start pushing the ball, especially quarters one through three. And he looks like a different player in some cases. He is setting real screens and hitting people like yeah. this is stuff we did not see early in the season. And I would argue I, that this is, this is even, I don't want to say better than last year because last year was like a special year, but like he didn't play like this last year. That's the thing. Yeah. He, yeah. he is playing differently from last year, but it's super effective. And yeah. I, I think like, you know, uh, Benji had a, a really interesting Knicks film thread after the Memphis game with about Evan Fournier and that was yes. about a bunch of different things about how Fournier is getting his shots off. And he included some really interesting sets that frankly, I didn't even notice that we we're using to get Evan Fournier open. But a lot of it was about Julius Randall and just like the screens he was setting and what he was doing off ball to get Fournier open. And like, I mean, it's super impressive. Like that's, you would think that would be the biggest story of the season because Julius Randall's performance, this is a guy on a long-term deal. He's going to be around for a while unless he, unless he gets traded, in which case, if we have to get, use an asset to get off of him, the, the more he plays better now, it, 
the less you have to give up to get rid of them. So you you could argue it's the most important. I don't know if many people would argue this. You can argue it's the most important thing to watch from now until the end of the season. It's that or, or Barrett's continued development. Those are the two. One of, one of those two. Yeah. So the fact that Randall has been playing this well and the Knicks are still, it's not contributing to winning. It, it's a very strange dynamic. And, I, and I'm trying to wrap my head around why. And, you know, last time I was on this podcast, you and I talked a lot about how the Knicks offensive woes have been contributing to their lack of defensive intensity and effort, right? They're missing yep. shots. Teams were not only just getting out in transition, it was affecting the Knicks defensive tenacity and their effort. And it's funny because like Randall is now hitting shots. Fournier is hitting shots. These guys still aren't playing defense, really. Like the, the defense has now become a real issue. And it's not only in transition, it's it's communications in, in half court execution, too. And I, I don't know, it's like, did, did a um, did a lack of accountability early on kind of just linger? And now it's kind of become a bad habits that were set. I, I'm wondering if I'm wondering if in and I'm talking about literally in the last handful of days, if something broke within this team. Be, and it's it's odd to even say that because like the Warriors game was just so strange in that it not that it came out of nowhere because like again as you just alluded to they showed signs in the Memphis game they showed signs in um, in the Lakers game obviously um, like there were little drips they showed signs in the Utah game like it, they the Denver game was second night of back to back maybe you toss that out but like. There were signs, and then they actually put it all together with the Warriors game. And and for a moment, you could talk yourself into it. Was that the night that's going to turn it around where they got past the trade deadline? Guys could just like say, all right, whatever bullshit we were worried about on the court, we're not worried about anymore. We're here. We're here. We're going to finish the season. We're going to finish strong. And then, you know, Portland for two and a half quarters. It's great. And then I, I don't even know how to describe what happened to end that game. And then the Thunder game was just kind of like, I I don't even know how to describe it. So it's just, it's just very strange because I, you know, so today I was looking at a bunch of numbers cause I just, that's what I do when I am confused. I look at, I look at data and like, I look at the Kemba five man starting unit and uh, there's 30, uh, 38, I think uh, defense uh, starting or five man units that have played at least 150 minutes together this season. What do you, what do you think that five man unit ranks in defensive rating? I'll give you one guess. You only need one. It's gotta be dead last. It's dead last. Um, and they're not, they're not great on offense either. They're like fifth from the bottom on offense. And, and then, but here's the, here's the other kicker in the first quarter. Like how it seems like this team gets off to such slow starts, right? In the first quarter. Right. The first quarter, that five-man unit actually at this point has a positive net rating, and then it gets progressively worse. And I'm not even progressively worse. Does not even begin to tell the story. They go from like my daughter's chiming in here. Um, what do you think of Kemba Walker? You like Kemba? No, she's not. she's chocolate on her face. Um, it's like plus one point eight in like the first quarter, and then it gets it goes to like minus twenty, and then minus twenty five, and then like minus twenty eight in the fourth. It I mean it it, it falls off a cliff. Yeah, the Burks start five-man unit. And I'm, I promise I'm going to tie all this together in a second. It's actually, it's plus five point something per hundred and it's over 200 minutes. So like 200 minutes, it's not everything, but it's also not nothing. 
great first quarter, bad second, um, good third, great fourth, limited sample size. So like I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, so I, like if I'm Tom Thibodeau and I'm looking at these numbers and I believe he, he does look at these numbers and he has access to these numbers, it's like, okay, I get it. You could talk yourself into Burks as the starting point guard. We get Rose back. Rose comes in, you know, right as shores up the, the, the backup five. Um, and like on we go. And then, but then I'm like, but, but so I, and then it just leads me to more questions, which is like, okay, so why does Kemba continue to get out there? Well, Kemba is still out there because I guess he doesn't trust any other point guard without Rose here. And then it's like, but then I go back to the numbers and I look at what the numbers are and I'm like, no, that can't be. So it's like, I see some data where it's like, I, I get to see, I think I see into what his thinking is. And then I don't know. I don't know. I'm just at a loss. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, the rationale for earlier in the season for completely benching Kemba, removing him from the rotation was always very strange to me because the notion that, oh, I see Kemba as a starting point guard. That, that doesn't, that doesn't always bullshit for me. Yeah. That doesn't, yeah. I'm with you, man. Like that's not a real designation. Like that. It doesn't make sense. Right. Like he can well, just, and especially the, the, the logic was, I don't want to have three small guards. Okay. But then there was never any thought to like, well, I mean, I know you see Rose as a, as a backup guy, but like you can't even experiment with putting quickly as like that. Like this is a coach who once put in Keith Bogans in the starting five to play him 17 minutes a game. And he started at 80 games that year for the Chicago Bulls. Like he's done this before. You could have a nominal starter and then just mix and match your way from there. He wanted Kemba gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to argue that at this point. And I mean, Kemba, he, he does bring a lot of just issues on the defensive end. He, he provides zero resistance in transition. And like, that's your guy back, right? That's your point guard. And he is just a turnstile at the rim. Um, every like one out of 20 plays, he'll swipe and get the, his hand on the ball and he'll go out of bounds. But for the most part, that's going to be a foul or it's two points. And it's a real problem. He gets targeted. I tweeted about that last night. Like he gets targeted and pick and rolls. You can't switch him onto a big because that's oh. just, it's done. I mean, so, so Kemba defensively has been a, a real problem, but I don't know, man, it's, it's a struggle there. I think there are just a lot of kind of, there's, it's not all one guy either. You know what I mean? The, no. the, I look at what was successful last season. And, and why the Knicks had such a good defense last year. And you could, I mean, you could look at Alfred Payton if you want to and say that helped. Sure. I, I, I guess um, it was, a lot of it was Nerland's Noel. Like Nerland's Noel was, he, it's the reason he got the contract that he did. I mean, he was a huge part of this team and he's been a, an utter non-factor or a complete negative this season. And I think that's a little under, under discussed. I think it's understood, but I don't think people talk about Nerlens Noel's struggles at the same level as like, I mean, this, he was the linchpin of our defense for mo most of the season. And our defense was the reason we were so good. And you know, by the way, who's the only player who, uh, when you put him with Kemba Walker, the, d the defense doesn't fall off cliff. It's Nerlens Noel. And like, I was thinking about that today and it's a, it's a almost nothing sample size. It's like a, a little under a hundred minutes, but like, you know, it makes a little sense. Noel's more comfortable going out, hedging on the perimeter, and then scrambling back to his man. So if you're you have a Kemba Walker out there who can't get around a screen to save his life, 
Like you need a center like that who's a little bit more mobile. And Noel has been, like you said, Noel's been a non-factor this year. Yeah, and and I do want to go back to these last couple games, uh, specifically Portland and Oklahoma City. Please, which, yeah. Uh, you know, every time each of these last two losses, Knicks fans have been saying worst loss of the season, and they both certainly have their cases. And so you kind of wonder why, like why did things dry up so poorly in in crunch time? And a big part of it, for sure, is that R.J. Barrett wasn't a part of the equation. I mean, R.J. Barrett's been our best clutch player this season. The numbers back it up. This this is a guy who steps up in these big moments, who wants the ball in big moments. And he wasn't there for either of those games. And, like, I keep, you know, listen, I, I listen to your post games. I don't envy your position at all because, like, people just vent to you. And I I am just like, oh. Poor Macri. This is, like that's a tough well, it's only it's only poor Macri if I if I dig my own grave, right? You dig your heels in a bit on Tibbs. I mean, look, the, there are different philosophies towards coaching. Like, I don't think that coaches are you know going to be the panacea. The, you look at form like Mike Budenholzer, who a lot of Bucks fans <laughs> wanted gone before he won the championship. Frank two, Vogel, two-time coach of the year. <laughs> Frank Vogel won a championship. Yeah. Now I feel like he's like a laughing stock on Twitter. Right? There's there's yeah. no loyalty to coaches in any way, shape, or form. No, but I keep going back to Tibbs. Kind of, I mean, frankly, rec- reckless. You know, the, uh, you know the RJ injury we, was reckless. Let, let's talk about this for a second because look, this was coming. The the the, the tidal wave was coming, and it, it actually had had already started before the RJ injury in the last. Um, and, and God bless you. Cause I didn't pick up on it where you literally, you just put it out. You were just like Tom Thibodeau. He actually, I don't say lied, but he, the words that came out of his mouth were not the actual thing that happened. Cause he it was, was at like, least we were down. it was no, it was, it was incorrect. He said we were down 13. We were making a run. And as you pointed out, when RJ actually checked into the game, it was down 17. You could say, all right, you're, you're nitpicking. Well, you know what? Actually, not really, because that makes a fucking difference. Um, and it shows, you know, and especially like in in that game where they were just getting their ass handed, like they, they were never going to win that game. You know, um, it was ridiculous. And then with the timeout snafu um, uh, in the at the end of the Oklahoma City game, it's just like it, it was bad time. If nothing else, it was bad well, time. Yeah. The timeout thing, uh, I I can forgive it, frankly. Like, I, so can coaches I. Coaches make mistakes. An injury to the franchise cornerstone in a game that has no chance of being won, it just shows like a, a removal from reality at this point. Like, like that, that was straight up dangerous. Like, it's a coach's job to mitigate risk in those situations. And the but doesn't it go to what you said about where's the coach learning? Right? Like, where's the coach adjusting? It's like, where's the coach learning, but also not putting his players in position for them to learn as much as they can. Like I said, RJ missed a lot of opportunities to learn in these past several past three games, Absolutely. all of which came down to crunch time. They were actual real learning opportunities in those games that RJ was completely removed from because of, because of this decision from Tibbs. And like, I mean, I, I would like to see Tibbs like, hold himself accountable for it and like say from now on, I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? And, and you wonder, 
you know, and like, look there, I'm, I defend him a lot because I think some of the stuff that gets targeted at him in terms of like call better plays or like your rotations or shit. Like, I think some of that stuff is like the tried and true things you hear whenever NBA an NBA team is doing poorly. And like, I'm not saying that like, is it possible that they could call some better plays? Absolutely. There's, they could call some better plays. Is it possible the rotations are perfect? Absolutely. Is that why this team is at where they are right now after 59 games? That's where I'm like a little bit not as sure. The other stuff in terms of like, you know, playing guys, all kinds of like the, the thing that astounded me with the five man unit that is they've, you know, that starting unit, they've only played 24 games together and they're fourth highest in the in minutes in the NBA. And again, they're minus whatever, 13 point something per hundred possessions. And it just shows like he does have these things about him where it's like, look, we're going to fit. I believe this is going to work and I can't find a specific reason why it's not working. So I'm going to keep going back to it, except with the Kemba part of it is just, it's just very confusing, but I digress, but no, I continue. Cause I, I completely agree with what you're saying here. Well, look there, like I mentioned, there's been this concerted effort to pick up the pace. Randall has read that memo loud and clear. Like he's, he's definitely been doing that. There've been a lot more hit ahead passes. They've been pushing off rebounds. It's great to see, but look, if that's what you're doing quarters one through three, you better be getting subs in because guys are going to be gassed. They're going to be exhausted in the fourth quarter in crunch time when it matters. And they're going to have nothing left to give. Like you need, I, I know the, the, the subs, the, the second unit has been struggling. IQ and Obi have been really struggling. You have to show them some trust. And, and you know, Tibbs putting yeah. IQ back in for that last play showed a great deal of trust. And I, and I hope and that I like carries, that. I liked it a lot. I hope it carries yeah. through, even though IQ missed that shot. Like you, you need to show your players that you trust them, that they will find their way, that they'll play their way out of it. Because if you don't trust your second unit, the starters are just going to be so too exhausted to perform when it matters. And they are. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that now game after game. And I think in Tibbs mind, it's like, and he talks about this so often, you know, about how you prepare for a season and he obviously values conditioning in an insane amount. And like he, pra- he that was the first thing he praised Julius for before the even last season, I think even began. Right. Um, so in his mind, like I, again, I don't think there is a part of him where it's like, I need to accept the reality that my guys are just going to not be able to give it their all. I think his view is like they need to they need to find something in themselves to give it because it is what is best for the team. And I believe these guys, you know, so he hasn't adjusted there. Um, do we think he's going to adjust in that area? I, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. I know all of Nick's Twitter is calling for play the kids, play the kids. And I'm, I would I know you would like to see it. I would I'd like to see it. I just have no confidence that we're going to. And, and that's kind of what makes it hard to, to look forward to the remainder of these games, because I, I mean, there are, there is young talent on this team. Uh, when RJ comes back, where's Cam Reddish going to fit into the rotation? That's a real question. And I, I don't think Knicks fans are going to like the answer to it. Well, if, it, if the game, if it's still about winning games, look, you could look it up. Cam Reddish worst on off on the team uh, since he's gotten traded here. Like they're getting outscored by 15 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. Limited sample size, hasn't gotten comfortable, started out rusty. He's looked better of late. Um, but like, 
I don't know. But that, but again, that goes back to like, what are your organizational priorities? What do you want to do with these last 24 games? Which is right back to where we started, right? It's like, what what's what's the purpose of the rest of the season? And, and Tibbs critics would say, look, you are losing anyway. Like that is already yeah. happening. And it, so losing with Cam Reddish in a lot of Knicks fans' eyes is better than losing with Alec Burks. It's yeah. like, if the result is the same, then can we just focus on the process and yeah. focus on development? And, and I think that's where the frustration is. That's what the frustration is going to continue to be. Um, look, I've, I've frankly been very quite critical of Cam Reddish. I didn't like him in Atlanta. So it's hard for me to like flip a switch and all of a sudden like him in New York. I, you know, you look at the numbers, you look at the tape, there are a lot of problems with his game. Um, maybe you could talk yourself into like a coach that who holds him accountable would be really good for him. And maybe Tibbs could be that. Um, and maybe we see that, you know, after a prolonged amount of time for, of practice that, that camera can kind of carry some changes principles and, and bring them onto the court for games. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's certainly not been enough time for that at this point. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm going to give my game ball then to HelloFresh. Yes. So I, I, here's the thing. I will say that HelloFresh, so they sent us a free box of stuff mm-hmm. and we've already used, so I guess I should just do the actual ad read and, and say, if you want to do what my wife did this week and get 16 uh, free boxes of HelloFresh, uh, go to HelloFresh. Free meal. 16, 16 free, free meals. meals. Yes. yes. So 16 free meals. 
go to hellofresh.com slash film school 16 um, and then use the code film school 16. Here's why it's a good idea. This stuff is amazing. Yes. So we got, what do we get? We got chicken and pasta. We got a chicken and pasta. This chicken with like some kind of tomato relish that we made ourselves with some Italian seasoning, balsamic. It was unreal. Um, we had a taco thing with like beef tacos and like cheese and like a salsa that we made ourselves. Awesome. Um, and then I'm forgetting what was the third one this week? I, I think we 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 ate it early. I think I got what, a different box, so I'm not sure which you'd have to go ask Dolores. But at Rosina and I have been customers of HelloFresh for way since okay. way before the sponsorship. We we endorse this endorsement you're making. So. Well, this is our first go around. And let me tell you again, it took all of two meals with this thing for my wife to be like, we're, we're signing up. Um, so let's see, what do I have to read here? Oh yes. Hello fresh. You get farm fresh pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You do uh, skip trips to the grocery store and count on hello fresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. It is easy. It is fun. And it is affordable, especially by the way, if you use that uh, special code, go to hellofresh.com slash film school, 16, and use code film school 16 for up to 16 free meals. And oh, I forgot about this. And three free gifts. I go, oh, I can't wait to get my gifts. I don't even yeah. know what my gifts are going to be. The biggest questions for the remainder of the season can quickly get back on track. Can Obi perform at a level that, you know, we, we saw him with, Let, say, with Derek Rose and like. Let's talk about Obi for a second. Where are you at on Obi? I just generally. Um, like as far as his ceiling or just kind of as his- far as just like, if you, you know, if you're in, let's pretend we're GMs for another team and like we've watched this year and like, we see what we see and like, we acknowledge all of the Knicks issues and say, okay, well maybe that's contributing to OB not having a better year. Um, the fact that he hasn't got a lot of playing time, but then I, I like, I looked it up today. He's 20 of 85 from deep this year. Like he's shooting 23% from, from long range. Like at some point you just have to look at that and be like, okay, well, this guy may not be a shooter. And if he's not a shooter, like where, where does that leave him as a, as a player that you have to, that you may want to make decisions around moving forward as an organization? I just, I don't know the answer to that. That's the struggle is he is such a specific type of player that needs a very certain kind of environment to be successful. And, you know, I'll I'll reference Benji again, because, you know, he he makes some very strong points that, you know, Taj Gibson has kind of become this almost stretch five where he can sit in the corner and be at least somewhat of a threat, certainly more of a threat, I think, than Obi, though Obi is extremely willing to let it go. You know, that's not always in the best interest of the team that Obi should be the guy setting the screen and rolling that, that Obi should be that, you know, you space Taj out to the corner, you spread the floor and you get Obi to set those screens. Um, I don't know that Obi's like a great screen setter at this point. He's got, you know, kind of a weaker lower body. Um, where am I at with Obi? I, I think that he is, uh, I think that he's a pretty limited player. Um, frankly, I know I don't want to get, no, look, I don't disagree with you, (laughs) you know, Uh, certainly on the ball. I don't see a lot of upside for him to like create for himself. I just don't think he has that kind of like body control when he's not flying through the air. He shows you, he shows you little 
flashes where he, he, you know, might put the ball on the floor and it's like the acrobatic finishes. Boy, do they look great. Like they look, I'm not even talking about the lobs. I'm talking about like when he gets a little space to move and he has a bit of a runway and he could kind of, you know, do one of these little flip shots or up and unders or whatever else. And it's like, man, that's a big dude. He could jump really high. It has that kind of skill finishing around the rim, you know, but how often can you rely on that? And like, do you, you know, how do you, again, if you're an organization and you're trying to build moving forward, like, do you factor this guy in as like, OK, we need to account for this person's presence on our team and like how we build it out from from here. And that's the part that I'm I'm, I'm uncertain about. And I've been trying to kind of figure out sort of, a, you know, comps for these guys, like what I think are reasonable expectations for them in the in their prime. Right. Yeah. Like what can what could Obi Toppin reasonably be? And if I said a name like Montrez Harrell to you, where it's like this guy is like not going to contribute all that much defensively. But yep. offensively, he's going to, you know, hustle. He's going to be a, a real pain to, to guard. He's going to grab offensive rebounds. He's going to finish everything near the basket. Like, to me, there's a world where Obi is, brings that kind of Montrez Harrell value. How does that strike you? Not, well, uh, minus the, <laughs> I was going to say minus the toughness, but at the same time, Montrez Harrell's toughness does not manifest itself at all on the defensive end. But it does. It do, you do feel him when you're out there. I feel like, when, or, or when when you're watching him on the court, I feel like you 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 know Trez is always out there. Like I'll, he's I'll always, he's yeah. Ex- oh yes, he's much meaner. I always think back to the game against the Clippers. I think it was. Oh my god! I think I'm, I have to. I, I think it was two years ago when Trez like just ate Mitchell Robinson's lunch. It was like an afternoon game. And Andrew is the one with the photographic memory. I don't know if he was paying attention to every Nick game back then. He may remember. No. Okay. He's shaking his head. Um, but it was, it was like a game in LA and like Trez went crazy. Um, so, but at the same time, I think Obi can do stuff with the ball that Trez can't do. I, I actually, that's not a bad comp. And what is Trez? He's a guy that's going to help you a lot in the regular season. And there's a reason that he was just traded for a second round pick, you know, <laughs> he's a little past his prime, I think at this point, but I, and I'm not even talking about, like stylistically, True. I'm not talking about stylistically. I'm talking more about like impact value and yeah. impact. Yes, exactly. And that's why, you know, quickly is a guy who, you know, it's funny. I know that like, quickly was your guy last year. Oh, like, he was, was my, that was your favorite player. He it was my favorite player. He was my favorite player at the beginning of this year. And now I watch him and you, you nailed it. Where, where, where is the joy? Where is the joy? He played with, jo- with nothing but joy. You know, and now it's like, and, and, and who do you blame for that? Do you blame quickly just because he's like not making shots? Do you blame the organization for trying to force him into becoming more of a point guard for the, his long-term development? Do you, do you blame Tom Thibodeau for maybe taking away a little bit of his confidence? I, I don't know, man, because like you go back and if you were to look at cleaning the glass quickly spent more time at point guard in his rookie year. Technically, like, yeah. And, and then I was looking, I was uh, checking out, I think Stacy Patton's Twitter feed. And he, he pointed out that IQ finished more or a higher percentage of his shots out of the pick and roll as the ball handler last year. Like he had the ball in his hand more last year as the facilitator. Um, if you were to look at it that way, I think it is, it is not so simple to answer your question. Like it's a, it's a confluence of a lot of factors. Um, and I think, Certainly IQ deserves a lot of the blame, you know, but 
do I, I do think that he can dig himself out of this and, and kind of the comp that I wanted to ask for you, uh, to you was George Hill for him. Like George Hill, like George Hill was the fifth best starter on some very good teams. He was a two way player. He hit threes. He was the point guard technically, but like, yeah, but he wasn't the main facilitator. Like, Right. I'm- well, I mean, I when I think of George Hill, the first thing that I is probably always going to think of is the guy that was traded for Kawhi Leonard, and for a solid year, if not more, that trade was looked at as like, hey, win-win. Both teams came out of it on top because the Pacers, <laughs> the Pacers were like, hey, this is exactly the point guard that we needed. Right? It was a guy who like when he filled in for Tony Parker way back in the day, I was like, man, this guy like he was really good. So, but I think you, I'm. I think the comp makes a little bit more sense of like mid to late career George Hill, right? As like he he's the fifth guy out there. He's going to be solid in all of the areas you ask him to be solid. And I do think that's a great comp. The one that I've been tossing around since somebody mentioned it earlier this year was Jason Terry as like a ceiling for IQ. But, you know, Jason Terry scored 19,000 career points, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, no. Jason Terry is, was something else, and was you know was, what, awesome. the third, was he like the third best player on that Mavs championship team? You know, so yeah, okay. So after Dirk, you had Tyson, you had Jake Kidd, you had Marion, and you uh-huh. had Terry. Yeah, you could argue any of those guys as second. You could argue any of those guys as fifth, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so I just think like as far as a realistic comp, you know, they both have the the long arms. They can both defend on the perimeter. I I will say that's been the issue with quickly recently is like defensively, he's just been kind of getting cooked. Um, I, it's been so strange because he was so much. He was so good in that area earlier in the year. All the fouls too. He can't like his technique is bad. His closeouts have been bad. It's like very technical stuff too, and it is really difficult to know what to attribute that to if he's just in his own head and not able to, to concentrate to a degree it's, but it is, it is troubling because he was your favorite player last year. He was a fan bases, you know, like I, there, the, there was a point in time. I was wondering if he had the highest ceiling of any young player on the team. And now if you ask me, I don't know that I would put him in the top five. Um, probably like it, it, it would come down. Like, uh, here, let's do that. I've, I've been asked this question a bunch. I'll ask you, give, give me your, your uh, anybody on a rookie contract, your, 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 Ceiling, highest ceiling. So I'm still going RJ. So ceiling, these, I mean, because I'm always just kind of like reasonable. Uh, it's a reasonable fa- ceiling. Factor in likelihood of getting there. How about that? Okay. Um, I still go RJ just because of his ability to to create off the bounce. You know, I, I, I think that Grimes. Easy answer. There. Yeah. yeah. Grimes limitations, they are real. And not to say that he's only a catch and shoot guy or only a three and D guy. That's not true. But um, I, I don't think that he projects certainly to, to RJ's level um, of being able to play on the ball. So RJ still one. Grimes is two just because I mean, Grimes floor is absurdly high. Like I'm, I'm still, I mean, he's been a reason to watch recently. He's been the reason to watch. I was about to say, he's been the reason to watch <laughs> the last two games. He's the guy I'm most excited to see. Uh, I'm I'm with you on the top two. Who's your number three? See, and then I think that my three is quickly. Um, I, I still ahead of Mitch and ahead of cam. Um, Oh, and, and Obi's on there too, right? I, I was well, Obi. I could, I, I, so for me, I think I might, I, I have, I might have, I have Cam, Mitch, 
and quickly in a group of of three after RJ and Grimes. And Mitch doing what he's been doing of late has really made me think long and hard about this question. And then Cam, I just like again, I'm I've I I know all the same things about Cam that you do. But then you wonder like if he figures it out, you know, it's like, so no, but okay. If you have quickly yeah. three, that's the, I got so, it. So for me, I would go quickly three Mitch four, cam five and, and OB six. And OB six. Okay. Um, I think for me, I just, I need guys to be able to dribble, pass and shoot. Like it's, it's basketball. Like you, I need it, you know, like <laughs> this, is ba- so, this is baseball season. <laughs> <laughs> like Mitch is so valuable protecting the rim, but I mean, you have to factor in feasibility here. He hobbles every game. It is just so worrisome the way he lumbers, the way he walks. Like it just doesn't, he doesn't look, he never looks like comfortable. Not never. He rarely looks comfortable yeah. out there. When he does, it is tantalizing. But again, there are ways to scheme against that. Like he's not going to, he's not going to beat you with the pass. He nope. can't put it on the floor for the most nope. part, unless he steals and goes coast to coast, which, you know, we saw that in the last game, but um, yeah, I, I do worry a little bit about kind of just Mitch's fundamentals. Um, okay. And then, you know, Cam and Obi both have great athleticism, both have some really interesting tools, but um, uh, for me, I think I'm putting them in kind of a, a tier at the bottom there. So it's interesting you say that based on what I've been able to gleam. Well, there, there was some reporting, I believe from Berman that, there was a discussion of a, of a Mitch deal potentially. Um, I think with Detroit at the deadline that there may have been some uh, disagreement in terms of, uh, you know, how that would look, or at least that's, that's what I heard. Um, But they were, I think they were willing to like talk Mitch and like put Mitch, you know, put Mitch on the table, but they just wanted a lot. And I don't know if it was, you know, did tips quash it? I don't know that they asked for too much, like whatever it is. And then, um, you know, Cam, it was already reported, right. That he was going to be part of that three-way trade in which he would have been going to the Lakers. Right. And they would have gotten back, I guess, some picks and Goran Dragic. And then, you know, Obi, um, I, 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 I could sit here and say, I think they're curious what his level, what the level of interest in him is around the league, but like RJ Grimes quickly, I've gotten, I have no indication that those guys like the organization would ever think about. I mean, obviously look quickly. He's not on trade. Nobody's untradeable, but like, I think if I, if you were to ask me what I think the organization thinks about who are the top three, I think, I think those would be their top three as well. So that maybe that's comforting. I don't know. I, I do have, I just have a huge, deal of confidence that quickly is going to be able to turn it, turn it I around. Completely um, agree. I, I just, he showed us too much in his rookie season and just how much confidence he has. Like they talk about a guy who wanted to take the last shot. Like mm-hmm. he was never scared of the moment. Um, and, and also and this is a little thing, but we, we criticized his defense and his on ball defense has been terrible. His, and like I said, his closeouts have been bad. He's still a, a shockingly good rim protector as a guard, man. He, <laughs> it's it's yeah. crazy. Like almost like, I don't want to invoke Dwayne Wade's name here, but that's who you're oh, yeah. throwing around. Like this is a guy who I think his wingspan's like six eleven or something crazy. He gets straight up vertical and jumps as high as he can. Like his technique 
when he rotates over to defend, uh, it's to defend the restricted area. It's really impressive. Um, so I, and I think he's got a frame to put on some muscle. I'm, I'm bullish on, on his work ethic that his shots going to come back. And like I said, you have to be able to dribble, pass and shoot in this league. And so that's why I, I put him over the other guys. But that's where, and again, I'm the one who defends Tibbs. And I wonder if a month ago or a month and a half ago, instead of whatever fucking direction they ended up going, they were, and you know, I think it was Pelton who suggested this on, on Zach Lowe's podcast. Like I, I like throw, like start quickly, see what he's got, you know, like I think that, you, you know, there, there, it takes a certain level of organizational confidence and maturity to be like, we're going to do a thing that may not be in the best interest of this season in terms of winning the most games we could do this season. And it is a bit of a risk and it may, you know, there is a chance it, it doesn't work out, but like you look at where quickly is now. And I just wonder like if they had given him more, like, especially and when he was, he was on that hot stretch. So it's like, there was a time where you could, you could look at him and be like, he's absolutely earned it. And they didn't go in that direction because, you know, Tibbs is kind of a stickler and he, he goes by what he knows and what he knows has gotten us here. And um, I know you've heard me say this before, but the whole quickly isn't a point guard discourse. Yeah, it's it's is, a stupid discourse. It, it's irrelevant. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't matter for this team specifically. I've said nope. before, Kemba, the way he's being utilized is not that of a traditional point guard. It's not how Kemba has been used his whole career as a pick and roll point guard. Uh, like get quickly in there. Let it, I mean, let him stand in the corner like Kemba, if that's how you're going to use him, Sure. But at least you have his defense, his transition defense is going to be so much better. And, you know, he's, he's also a threat. It's not like he's a non-factor on the offensive end. You kick it out to quickly, you can get a catch and shoot shot. You can get a drive and dish. Like he's able to, to keep the ball moving too. Um, and, and I think if he were kind of in that starting lineup, he wouldn't feel necessarily all that freedom to just launch these ridiculous shots. I know his shot, yeah. profile, his shot selection yeah is heavily criticized as it should be. But when you're next to Julius Randall and Julius Randall's giving you that look, I don't think you're taking a bunch of those shots, you know, with the <laughs> 10 minutes left in the first quarter. I just don't think you're going to do it. Like, so I, I think it would be good for him for his discipline, frankly, to be in that starting unit too, where RJ and Julius and Fournier are, are carrying a lot of the, the ball handling responsibilities and quickly is just out there to, to basically not get cooked like Kemba does. Yeah. And I, it's again, I, I referenced it earlier and I'll reference it again. It, it is, I'm pretty good at thinking I'm, I, I, you know, as a former lawyer, I'm pretty good about uh, thinking up arguments for shit. Um, give me, give me something and I will, I will give you a reason why the thing is the way it is. It may be far-fetched. It may be utter nonsense, but I'll give you something. And just watching Kemba out there continue to, to continue to play minutes for this team is it, it is, it is borderline astounding to me. And I don't, it is something I cannot wrap my mind around other than to say that his benching the first time, I think rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And does that have something to do with it now? The fact that like, and, and will it change after the all-star break? Was there some kind of agreement? Like we'll give it to the break and we'll see where we're at. If we're not at a good place, then, then, you know, we'll, we'll call it a, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it is, that's, 
that to me, like a lot of people have like keyed in on Burks and like, oh, why is Burks still out there? Burks is a good, versatile player. I know he's being used in a role that nobody wants to see him in right now, but he's a like he's a good basketball player. You could fit him with any other four guys. Um, the, the Kemba being out there just it makes no sense to me. Um, but and I think you know, this Burks usage in crunch time, I think is, is a little perplexing. That's, just little that's problematic. And, yeah. And like you said, it is the way he's being used, but, uh, yeah, he, the fact that like the crunch time offense is high pick and roll with 12 seconds left on the shot clock with Gibson setting a screen for, for Burks. Like that's not, it's not what fans want and it's not yielding the results that Tibbs wants either. So no one's winning here. Nope. So, um, yeah. And, and the fact that that's, that's what that's what they have resorted to as like this is our best offense right now. Should tell you, you know, tells you a lot, I guess. But yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Finish up. What, what do you? What do you? Give me one thing you hope for. Give me one thing you're wondering. Give me one thing you're excited about. Just give me one thing that from you know we'll have you obviously you be on again before the end of the year, but like you know, for the, for the foreseeable future, for the next several weeks, like what are you, what's something that's on your mind? Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you guys for sending me to the G league game that I got to go cover <laughs> for you guys, because that was really cool. And Anytime. no, and, and I would like to do that again. And what I'd really like to see is, is deuce play. I, I really want to see deuce in person. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be a, an opportunity to do that, but like, you know, that's a guy that I know a lot of the fan base wants to see, in that point guard spot. Um, I think I'm thinking that there's going to be a time in place, whether there's, you know, games where Kemba shut down for maintenance or, or anything like that. I, I think that we're going to, after the all-star break, Deuce is just too much of a Tibbs player, like a get in your Jersey physical perimeter force, really <laughs> like that. But that's why it doesn't make any sense. It's, that's why I think that's going to to turn at some point before the season's over. Yeah. And I would love to see Deuce come in and make some impact because, and the dude is, he's no joke. He is. And, and like uh, the, the G league coach told me like it's infectious, like the teammates feed off of what he does. Um, and, and I would love to see that infect the Knicks locker room a little bit. Uh, they could, <laughs> They they could stand to be infected with something for better or worse. Uh, that's for sure. Um, this was great. Uh, um, it's always comforting to talk to you because it it makes me take a step back off the ledge because you're uh, as good a basketball mind as there is out there who is who is covering this team. And I always feel very privileged that we we get to pick your your brain about stuff. Is there any, before I let you go? Is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to like touch on? We got all the basketball stuff. I did have one question for both you and Andrew, though, because I oh, know boy. with the Oscars coming up, I want to know what what's the deal? What should I want? Like, ah. what, what was your guys' favorite Best Picture nominee? Because I've only seen like three of them, and I have a favorite, but I mean, of that small sample, I'm curious. Do you guys have predictions? Do you have favorites? Like, I'm just want to hear some movie talk from you guys um you should go ahead and place your bet on power of the dog in as many categories as you can right now it's gonna um it's gonna it's gonna do very well i saw that it was well done yeah i'm i'm, I'm with you it was it was it a very wasn't. nice well done movie you know it, it um, didn't it didn't like pull me in and like really i the ending was crazy but uh i'm any any other andrew what do you think 
That's funny because remember the last time you were here when you said, hey, I just watched Power of the Dog. It was fine. And I was like, yeah, I thought so, too. I thought it would, like the, the second half is better than the first. But, you know, it's going to get a ton of nominations. Little did I know it's going to be like the runaway front runner yeah. come Oscar season and probably a coronation for Jane Campion. Oh, oh I know. Have you seen Coda yet? That was the one. I've, that was my favorite one I've seen. So oh, that's far. that's a bad. I mean, if that's not the feel good movie of the year, I don't I don't really know what is. So let me um, say this. We're doing yeah. Oz and I we're taking a break from the final review format this week and we're doing our best movies of 2021. So okay. the episode this week is a literal recommendation for movies that people haven't seen most likely. My number one movie wasn't nominated for best picture this year. My number two movie was not nominated for best picture this year. But I will just shout out Paul Thomas Anderson's movie which is in my top 5, Licorice Pizza, which is like the biggest 180 I did on a movie. You're you're muted. How did I, I do think, that? I don't um know. <laughs> you look at Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the Tarantino movie? Yes. Okay, so the mystique and like the magic of like LA in the sixties. He, he, he does that. He creates that with Leo and Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie and the entire history of cinema, right? Like that's what creates the fairy tale of once upon a time in Hollywood. And PTA accomplishes that with like Silicon Valley and like a first time actor and Alana Haim and Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid and almost exceeds the level of magic that's in that movie because of how great of a, of a story that is. So I, that, that would be my big recommendation is licorice pizza. And, and I'll give just one, one more. Uh, if you haven't seen the lost daughter, it's available on Netflix. Um, it, it is not the most exciting. Um, uh, what do you call that? Not log line. Uh, Whatever, like the the the, the two sentence description of a movie. oh, like the elevator pitch, the, the elevator the tagline, yeah, yeah, is um, the but it contained um my favorite performance of the year, and I'm not talking about from Olivia Coleman. Um, and I was very 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 happy that Jesse Buckley got nominated for best supporting actress for that. But that I would strongly recommend Lost Daughter. All right, and have you seen Tick Tick Boom? I have not. I don't. I mean, I am not a huge Damn. musical guy. Um, I, I'm I'm not either. It's awesome. It's so, so much fun. Here's what I'll just add on to what John said about it's awesome is that what you do do is you create content. And what I related to with this, I know John related to this too, is it, it really shows like the struggle that you go through when you're creating. It shows what failure also feels and looks like. Um, then there's like the emotions where like real world stuff comes in and your problems get put into perspective and it's like, Oh, so now I, I I look at my failures and, and struggles a little differently. Uh, the entire it, story is relatable, especially for people yeah. like us that trust an audience with the thing we put out there. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So and it, it gets that's into the other element aside from the music. Which if you've ever, thing. not that any of us on here would, would fall into this category, but if you've ever been obsessed with that, that which you, <laughs> uh, you know, spend your time. Uh, creating this is a movie that will resonate with you also. So yeah, definitely strong, strong recommendation for that. Um, there you go. So no, I appreciate you guys uh, filling me in on the, on the movie stuff. I got a lot to catch up on. There's also this in, I think this, this is indie film that I don't know if you guys, hold on. Spider-Man. I know you're no way. T- 
knew you were gonna do that. I don't know if you've seen okay. it or not. It's got some Oscar winners in it. If you want to check it out, I've heard of it. Should have been, been nominated for best picture. Biggest movie saying. of the year. <laughs> Biggest movie of the last two years. Made more money than almost the entire top ten at the Oscars or the best picture category outside of Dune. Yes, Spider Man yeah. No Way Home. Um, this was a lot of fun. Um, Tom, uh, you are awesome. Uh, I should have said at the top, but I, I will say it in our intro to the show. So I'll make sure I get it in there. Um, still co-hosting talking next. Um, always killing it on there. Um, you're the man, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much for checking out that episode of the Knicks film school podcast. Again, Tom is awesome. If you are somehow not following Tom on Twitter, please correct that. He is as good a follow as is out there um, at Tom underscore P I C C. O L O. Uh, how to get his follow count up, please. Like he is really as good a follow as there is. Uh, and that'll do it for us. This episode, as always, if you dig the show, uh, rate, uh, subscribe, review the whole thing. And we appreciate it. And we appreciate you. Uh, and until next time, uh, enjoy what is left of your week. And we'll talk to you soon.